A good reminder, don't take our freedom for granted. If you're ever tempted to take it for granted, just go on a mission trip with me and Pastor Will. I'll never forget, just a couple of years ago, we were in a very remote village in southern Egypt ministering in secret house churches. We were trying to keep a a low profile so as not to compromise the welfare of the churches that were there, but we kind of stood out and we ended up having a large police escort wherever we went. And there's nothing quite like being in a, a room, cinder walls, dirt floor, one light bulb, with a church gathering of people there who are singing their guts out. And there's about 12 police officers in the dark alleyway, less than 20 feet from me and Pastor Will, with their AK-47s. And the power goes out, and it gets really dark. And these particular officers were not happy that Pastor Will and I were there. That's the only time in all of my travels with Pastor Will that we've looked at each other and said, if this goes bad, what are you going to do? We had never had that conversation before, but that became a, a real conversation in that moment. And sadly, we learned that the very next day, the gracious host who had opened up his home to the church that night was called in by the secret police and was interrogated the next day because of what had transpired that night. So from the first century, the church has faced opposition, an opposition that, thank the Lord, we have never known uh, in, in modern times in our nation. But it is known in parts around the world, and we don't need to forget that. And as we go to Revelation 2 and 3 today, let's keep that in view, that our brothers and sisters in Christ who were reading this letter for the very first time in the first century, they were suffering immensely in, in horrible, horrible ways. And so we want to look at Revelation 2 and 3 today. And you may remember last week in Revelation chapter 1, we saw this beautiful, stunning picture of who Jesus is in Revelation 1. John, who is a prisoner on the island of Patmos, he says, I heard a voice behind me. And the only way he could describe the voice that he heard, he said it sounded like a a trumpet. And he turns around and he sees Jesus in all of his glory And this is how we kind of broke that down last week by way of reminder. He's the king of the universe. That's who he saw, the son of man, king of the universe, great high priest, infinitely wise with eyes that see everything, perfect in purity and power. His voice roars with authority, holding pastors in his right hand, coming to judge the nations, radiant in all of his glory. His word's the first word. His word is the last word. And he has authority over death and hell. And do you remember, by the way, last week when we saw that beautiful picture of Jesus in all of his glory, do you remember where he was standing in that moment? In the middle, in the middle of his Seven lampstands, which represent his church. Hey, hey, Grace Life, just wrap your heart around that for a moment. What, what he wants us to take out of Revelation chapter 1 is that he is in the middle of his church. No matter what's going on, from the first century all the way down to me and you in the 21st century, Jesus in all of his glory is standing in the middle of his church. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus addresses seven churches by name. But what he says to each church, he intends, I believe, for all churches. You see, when this revelation was delivered to Ephesus, they didn't just read the part of the revelation that was addressed to Ephesus. They also read the part that was addressed to Smyrna and Laodicea. 
God may have addressed it to certain churches, but he intended for all the churches to read it all the way down to me and to you today. And I want you to know, I feel a sense of urgency to move through this book more rapidly than I normally move through books. You may remember that we just came out of the Gospel of John. That took us two years to get through the Gospel of John. And I feel a sense of urgency to move a little quicker through the book of Revelation. My hope is that that sense of urgency is because Jesus is going to interrupt this sermon series. And he's going to call us away out of here. In fact, I'm perfectly okay if he would just interrupt this sermon and call us out of here. Just this past Wednesday night, the fourth child and final child, I believe, of ours gave her heart to the Lord Jesus. So my family's complete. So uh, I'm even more ready now than I've ever been before. So I'm not going to take us on a deep dive, at least today, of these couple of chapters, not a deep dive of these seven churches. Instead, what I really want to do today is kind of take a panoramic view of these seven churches. I had never discovered the panoramic feature on my iPhone until a couple of summers ago. Have you ever used that? We were down at the beach and one of those big storms was rolling up and I discovered you can really get a great shot of one of those shelf clouds when you use that panoramic feature on your phone. And so I, I flipped it on panoramic and I held the button down. You've got to keep it on that line. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I'm not real good at that. I'm not, there's a reason I'm not a surgeon, all right? And I, I tried my best to hold it on that line. Well, that's kind of how we're going to approach Revelation chapter 2 and 3 today. Just a, a panoramic view of these churches in chapters 2 and 3. Maybe next week we'll dive a little bit deeper. But listen, since today we're all just getting back in the pool for the first time in 56 days, I thought we might just take it a little bit easy today, okay? And we probably need to take it a little bit easy today because let's be honest, the last 56 days have taken a toll on all of us. On some of us, maybe a whole lot more than on others. I'm very aware that today some of us are tired. I'm very aware that today some of us are worried. I'm very aware today that some of us are angry. I'm very aware today that some are lonely. They were lonely when this began, and that was compounded exponentially with every passing day. I know that some today are afraid, and some today are depressed, and we're all probably somewhat confused. We are surrounded by a world of experts, talking heads, posts, and podcasts, and predictions, and models, and reports, and tweets, and God himself only knows which of those is actually trustworthy. And we find ourselves today in the same room at the same time, wanting desperately to return to some sense of normalcy, but not sure that we can, or that we should. Wondering, is the life that we have known, is it gone? Has it crossed your mind that you may have touched an offering plate for the very last time? That may be no big deal to some, but for those of us for whom have, we've experienced that as an act of worship all of our life, that's a kind of a big deal to us. I'm not even quite sure what the Lord's Supper is going to look like the next time that we receive it. And maybe we're wondering, is there going to be this cold, cautious distance between brothers and sisters in Christ from now on? I don't think so. I certainly hope not. 
But what I do know today is that many of us feel like we have just been in a war like we've never been in before. This strange sort of hazy, undefinable, nebulous sort of fatigue is kind of hanging over all of us. And while the COVID-19 curve may have flattened, other things have not. Sexual abuse has not flattened. Domestic abuse has not flattened. This week we were reminded by the video we saw of what happened to Ahmaud Arbery that hatred and racism has not flattened. I learned just yesterday that a well-known preacher took his life two days ago. Suicide hasn't flattened. i got to be honest with you, as blessed a person as I feel that I am, I feel less like this is home than probably ever before. I feel less and less at home here, I think, with every passing day, and I think probably a lot of you would say the same thing. In fact, not only does it feel less like home, but it just feels more like a battlefield with every passing day, and some days with every passing moment. And you know what? It should feel that way because, church, we are in a battle. As God's people, we're in a battle daily with sin, daily against our own flesh, daily against Satan. We battle it in our own minds, we battle it in our own hearts, we battle it in our own marriages, we battle it in our own homes. If anything has happened to my soul over the last 56 days, there's just a renewed passion to go home. There's a renewed awareness that I'm not there yet. And I look forward to Jesus coming back, and He is coming back, and He's going to usher in a day where there is no more sin, and there is no more suffering, and there is no more sorrow. That day's coming, but listen, Grace Life, that day is not yet here. We're still on the battlefield. We are still in the battle. And the battle, let me remind you, in case you have forgotten, the battle's for the souls of people. For men and women and boys and girls to know the Lord Jesus Christ. To know that He is the only way for them to be reconciled to God. There is no other way to come to the Father except through Him. That is our mission. And the battle rages around that mission. The battle between two kingdoms. The battle between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. Now church, I, I, I painted for you, I think, what is probably our sense of reality today. Not to define that so that we're further discouraged. Maybe you came really hoping that I would sound like a different preacher by the name of Joel today and would just be totally uplifting. But I want to I define where we are. I want to define that reality because there's something even more real in the middle of that reality than I've spoken to yet, and that is this. In the middle of us, church, in the middle of this battle, in the middle of this battlefield, in the middle of church, there stands Jesus. In all of his glory. That is what he wants his church to get from the first century to the 21st century when they read Revelation 1, 2, and 3. He is in the middle of his church. Standing in our presence in all of his glory. And, and I pray today that as you and I are reminded that he is in our midst that we will find hope for our weary souls today. And healing 
for our harassed minds today and that we would rest. Maybe some of us would rest today in him like we've not rested in some time. He is with us. He is in our midst. And he will not abandon us in this place called earth. So Grace Life, this morning, I just want to give you three quick reminders about Jesus as it relates to me and you, his church. If you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus, you're not yet a part of his family, you're not yet a part of his church, I pray that you'd trust him today. You may be watching online right now. The Holy Spirit's calling you to turn from your sin and yourself and to trust Jesus as the only way to be saved. I pray that you would do that. I pray you'd let us know that. We want to help you. Maybe in this room there's somebody today. Today's the day of salvation. I pray you would trust Christ today. Let me tell you three quick things about Jesus as it relates to his church. Number one is this. Jesus knows his church. He knows his church. When he speaks to these seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, he uses the same two words every single time. To the church at Ephesus, chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I know. To the church at Smyrna, chapter 2, verse 9, I know. To the church at Pergamum, chapter 2, verse 13, I know. To the church at Thyatira, chapter 2, verse 19, I know. To the church at Sardis, chapter 3, verse 1, I know. To the church at Philadelphia, chapter 3, verse 8, I know. To the church at Laodicea, chapter 3, verse 15, I know. I hope that you'll go home today and read chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. And when you do, you're going to come away with this reality. Jesus knows His church. He knows His church better than the church knows itself. He knows the church. He knew the church at Ephesus better than the church at Ephesus knew itself. He knows the church at Grace Life better than the church at Grace Life knows itself. He knows every member of Grace Life better than every member of Grace Life knows his or herself. That's the truth. Jesus knows us. He knows the real me. He knows the real you, and he loves us anyway. If you're like me, the real you has kind of been squeezed to the surface a time or two over the last 56 days. I haven't always liked what has surfaced in my life over these days. But you know what? Jesus knew it before it surfaced. And he was faithful to me. And he's faithful to you. He knows us. He is the one, John, uh, Revelation 1 told us, he's the one that's in our midst, in our midst, with eyes like fire. There is nothing that's hidden from his view. He knows your worst sin. And he knows your deepest sorrow. He sees it all. And he knows us better than we even know ourselves. Astronomers tell us that in our galaxy there are a number of stars. And I don't know that there's a word for this number. But it's a 10 with 24 zeros behind it. And long before astronomers knew that, the psalmist said that God himself placed every single one of those in their place. And he, called, he calls them by name. PJ, you know what's more stunning to me than God who calls all those stars by name is that he knows your name and he knows my name and he knows us. He knows his church. Secondly, not only does Jesus know us, church, but secondly, Jesus loves us, church. He loves us. By the way, 
what he's doing in Revelation 2 and 3 is loving the church. Walking in the midst of those lampstands. Walking in the midst of his church. He is loving his church. He is trimming wicks. He is fanning flames. He's even disciplining. Revelation chapter 3 verse 19. The church at Laodicea, he says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. He loves us. That means sometimes when we need it, he'll yank us up and spank our behind. Because he loves us. He wants his best for his church. He's in our midst. He's loving us. He'll cry out to us when he sees us moving in the wrong direction like you would for your child if they were running into a busy, crowded street. He loves us. He's so loving, in fact, that even when he speaks to the church at Laodicea and he says, I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold, but instead you're lukewarm and that makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. But do you know that he follows that up by saying, and I stand at the door and knock, and if you'll let me in, we'll sit down and we'll have a meal together. That's love. That's love. He loves you, and I want to remind you of that today. If these 56 days have been a test to see just how Christ-like you are, maybe you haven't scored quite as well as you would have wanted to, but he loves you anyway. If your love for him has grown cold over the last 56 days, I assure you, his love for you has not and never will. Grace Life, I just want you to be reminded today that Jesus knows you. He knows the church. I want you to be reminded today that Jesus loves you. He loves his church. And thirdly, I want you to be reminded today that Jesus protects you. Hey, let Harper do her thing. Grace life belongs to Harper just like it belongs to me. If she wants to giggle or scream or holler, she deserves it. By gosh, it's been 56 days. And all the church said, amen. Amen. Don't worry about these kids today, all right? Let them be at home. That's all right. That's a blessing from the Lord. Jesus knows his church. Jesus loves his church. Number three, Jesus protects his church. Watch this. He's the king of the universe, our great high priest infinitely wise with eyes that see everything and he's perfect in purity and power his voice roars with authority he's holding pastors in his right hand he's coming to judge the nations he's radiant in all of his glory and his word is the first word his word is the last word and he controls death and hell grace life he is our protector he is in our midst he will not allow anything to separate us from him he will not allow anything to step into our midst that will separate us from the love of god Paul speaks to that, Romans chapter 8, verse 35. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus knows his church, Jesus loves his church, and Jesus is protecting his church. Nothing's going to separate us from him. If you don't believe that, when you go home today and you read Revelation 2 and 3, don't stop. Just keep right on reading until you get to the first map in the back of your Bible. And if you're not convinced by the time you get to that first map in the back of your Bible that He knows you and loves you and will protect you, there will be no convincing you. You'll be convinced.
Now that doesn't mean that we won't experience sorrow. We have and we will. That doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer. We have and we will. What it means is our story will not end in sorrow. Our story will not end in suffering. Our story is going to end around a throne where nail-scarred hands have wiped away every tear from every eye and we will be gathered together with our brothers and sisters from every tongue and tribe and nation forevermore, giving honor and glory to God. Because we belong to Him and He is the King, the King. Of the universe. Let's pray. Lord, we bow before you today so grateful. Why would you care to know us? You do. So grateful that you love us. You displayed that at the cross of Calvary where Jesus laid his life down to take our sin away that we might be right before you. We thank you, God, that you are protecting us. It doesn't mean we won't face hardships. But it means that there's a better day coming. It means that in the meantime, there is nothing that will separate us from you. You will walk with us through the fire. You'll go with us into the flood. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because you are with us. Holy Spirit, would you stir our hearts up today that our faith may be strengthened. That we would stand in a moment and declare, I believe. I believe, Jesus. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you've done what you've done. I believe you're going to do what you've said you're going to do. My faith may have been weak in these days, but you have been strong. And I believe your word that your strength is made known in our weakness. And surely in these days, it has been. And you're worthy to be praised. Church, do you believe? Do you believe? I want to invite you to stand and let's declare that we do.